And a good Thursday morning to you, and welcome into Darren, Donick, and Chase here at Pete and Terry's Tavern here at Bridgestone Arena. You know what that means. It means there's a Predators game tonight. Yep. They will wrap up this four-game homestand tonight against Alexander Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals. I feel like, you know. I've heard of them. Yeah. I feel like Ovechkin is, when you think Capitals, you have to think Ovechkin, right? Although, he only has one goal this year. He's in a slump. Nah, it's early. They've played four games. It's early. It happens. It happens sometimes. Four games and he only has one goal. What's going on with Ovechkin? I, I'm sure I'm sure. Like a lot of people are very concerned about that. That was a joke. Yeah. I know. Yeah, he'll get his 50, right? Oh, yeah. It, look, it, sometimes you see players like that, they start off slow and... Then they get into a streak, and they knock off a bunch back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Then it slows down. That's hockey. That indeed is hockey. So it'll be the Washington Capitals tonight before the Predators embark on their first road trip of the season. It'll be out west, and it'll be Saturday afternoon at the Staples Center. Saturday afternoon at the Staples Center. What is it, 5 o'clock here, 3 o'clock out there. So little Saturday afternoon, early evening hockey here for their first road trip. And, of course, all the action will be heard right here on ESPN 102.5, the game. Darren McFarland, Chase McCabe alongside Dave, the onside engineer. Willie Donick will join us a little bit later in the program. We've got a great show in store for you. Uh, We'll learn a little bit more about the Titans opponent. We'll head out to Denver in about 15 minutes. Yep. Brandon Cristal. That's right. Brandon Chris, we've enjoyed our conversations with him. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to Terry at 11 o'clock. We'll talk a little bit more about tonight's game with Lindsey Rowley here on site in the second hour of the program. Silly underdog picks, unfortunately, at noon Do we, for the we two still of us. That? We're still doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is, this is what me and you need to be discussing. If we lose yet again, what's our new strategy? I. I mean, I don't know. Chris Sanders has brought in his girlfriend. I mean, what what do we? I've tried everything. I had a committee. You know, yeah. I have consultants that I talk to. I mean, I I I've tried to go big. I've tried to go small. I mean, it just nothing has worked for me. Nothing's working. Kind of like uh, no, nothing was working for the Dodgers or the Braves. Yeah. Well, I guess I should say the Braves. Yeah. That's probably the quickest I've ever seen uh, a series over. Oh. And it was over in a hurry. You know, it, it, like I was watching the game, because I, I made a commitment to my team. I was going to watch the whole game no matter what, and I did. I sat at, at a bar with some friends, and I watched every pitch until the very last at bat, and it was painful. But the thing that I, you know, like if they had lost close game, okay. You know, probably blew it in game four, should have gotten it done. But the fact that they never even had a chance – Nope. After the first inning, I mean, they they didn't even have it and at bat, and they didn't have a chance. Like that's what just sucked. I mean, it was just it was so painful. But and I and I was trying to think back because you know there are some agonizing defeats um, in sports, obviously that you go through as a fan. And in my lifetime, I can't remember too many that are like that. Now, at the same time, if you're a Dodgers fan today, would you rather lose like Atlanta did than? You know, have the lead most of the game and then lose it the way that you did last night. 
I don't know. I don't know if there's any better way to lose, but, man, I would say you'd rather lose like the Dodgers because at least you're, you were leading, yeah. you know, for most of the game, and then it all fell apart, but it didn't fall apart until the eighth inning, and then in extras. But, I mean, for that one, I mean, you, you literally could have gone home after a half an inning yeah. and called it a day. I yeah. mean, that game was over. You knew it was over. And so that's like the worst. Yeah. Like your team hasn't even batted yet, and you know the game, the series is over. And then one of one of my favorite players decides after the game to call it a career, which everybody kind of suspected everybody could ha- happen. Brian um, McCann. Yep, Brian McCann, you know, basically – it, like and I, the thing I love about him is, it's like no, nah, no, nah, this is it. Yeah, I'm not gonna take any time. Like I know this is this was kind of the plan. Go home, play with my kids, be a dad. And I'm sure he'll still be around in some capacity. But um, great career for him. I actually saw him play his rookie year. It wasn't too long after his first call up in Cincinnati. The Braves were playing the Reds, and he hit a grand slam. His first his first career grand slam. So. Um, you know, it, it stings. I think there's some things that the Braves can build upon. Um, they obviously have a very talented lineup, but pitching was always going to be a concern, and um, you saw it. And, and really, it wasn't all on Fulton Evich. I mean, if Freddie Freeman makes that play and doesn't commit that error, which something was up with Freddie Freeman in this series, playing with an injury yeah. or something, and he was not himself. Did not seem to be himself. So... If they can clean some of that stuff up, um, you know, I would like to see them try and bring Josh Donaldson back for another year. I have a feeling he's going to want. But what do you do? What money wise? Well, no, you got the kid, man. Well, he's Austin Riley. Is it where you stick Riley out in the outfield? Yeah, I mean that's where he's been, um, and you're probably not going to have Marcakis come back, so you do have room. You so how much that. you give Donaldson? You gave him twenty million this year, twenty what million, you and he produced. He did. But and you I, gonna give him? You gonna give him a, a long term deal? Uh, that's the problem. I would, I would be Can like, you keep signing him to one year deals. That would be great if he's yeah. like, hey, I'll take another one year, twenty million dollar deal. Sold, do it. Well, yeah, but but he's not seems, gonna do that. He's gonna be going into next season thirty four years old. Yeah, I think he wants one more, you know, big payday. Um, but you know, I, you never know. I mean, or actually, he, he, he made twenty three. Yeah, it was twenty twenty three million twenty three. Um, he fit in that clubhouse. So obviously, he produced uh, playing third base. But, yeah, you're right. Austin Riley is going to be the, the third baseman of the future. There's a lot of talent with him. I think they brought him up probably – they brought him up out of necessity, but maybe before he was ready. And so you kind of saw after the honeymoon phase of him just blowing everybody's mind that he kind of tapered off and he wasn't even on the postseason roster. So, um you know, there, there's obviously some work that he still has to do. He's worked with Chipper Jones a lot um, at third base. So, you know, maybe he's ready. But I mean, 34 years old, I mean, what do you get? I mean, I can't imagine if you do bring him back. You, you can't give him more than a two-year deal, no, right? I, there's I, no I would way. Think, I mean, I would think it would have to be a two-year deal. And I don't, you know, I don't love the idea of paying him $23 million, you know, or over the course of two years, you know, $23 million a year. But if he wants to be back and they want him back, then I'm sure they'll I, I would also look, you know, at a, at a risk because and say, look, how about just another year? Let's just run it again or give yeah. him a bump. One year, $25 million. Right. Because, I mean, we know he's had two years. Or, you know, he was 
it was tough sledding. A lot of injuries. and Oh, well, yeah, you got him in Cleveland. And and he it was, was just zero. A zero in Cleveland. And the well, Braves were actually. There. He wasn't there very long. But. The Braves were actually in on acquiring his services when he went to Cleveland, but they were concerned. Are we, you know, how long are we going to get him for? Yep. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they, they, like I said, they have a lot of young talent. There's a Christian Pache, I think is how you say his name. He's an outfielder that's a, one of the top prospects that had a really good year in AAA and AA, and so he could factor in. Uh, Ender Enciarte has another year left, and, and so they hope to get him back uh, healthy. He's struggled with injuries all year. So, you know, you have options, but... Is McCann a Hall of Famer? No, probably not. Borderline? Yeah, I mean... Just on the good. outside looking in, bubble guy. What was his home run? I 282. Played 15 years. Yeah. Remember, remember the position. Yeah. You have to keep that in mind. Well, he did win a World Series with the Astros. So What, MVP uh, a couple never, times, right? No, I don't think. No, I guess he was an, maybe he was an all-star. all-star MVP. Yeah. But he had a streak of going to the All-Star game every year when he was, was with the Braves. What hurt him is when he signed that big contract with the Yankees, things really tapered off for him. And he wasn't quite the same. And then three years with the up. Yankees, two years with the Astros, ten years with the Braves. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's possible because of the position that he played. I mean, he put up really good numbers. Career by an average two sixty two. On base three thirty seven. Slugging percentage four fifty two. Yeah. And see, like I said, it fell off. And I think that w- those numbers would have been higher had he uh, over a thousand RBI. Yeah. yeah, you know I don't know. Yeah. It, it's I mean he's definitely going to be one of those guys that you know, was in the Braves Ring of Honor and they you know they might hang hang his number, but he uh, it, it's sad to see him go. I was glad to see him come back. Like I said, he was one of my favorite players. So to see him come back for one last year with the Braves and and uh, take a run at it. But, you know, he did win a World Series. His dream, though, was to win one in Atlanta because that's where he's from. That's his hometown. He lives um, – he and uh, Jeff Francoeur are neighbors and would actually, even after Francoeur retired and joined the, the TV team, they would ride to the, the park together because they live, you know, next door to each other. Right. So, you know, really good friends. But, yeah. You, you want to know uh, – what do you think Brian McCann made in his career? Oh, I mean, the Yankees paid him a lot of money. I don't. I don't even. Just garner a guess. What do you think? Uh. By the way, Josh Donaldson's made eighty million. Okay, so I'm going to say. But he's only been in the league nine seasons. Brian McCann played 15. just over a hundred. Hundred twenty-eight million. Hundred twenty-eight. Okay. Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad at all. Hundred twenty-eight million. I could make that work. Oh uh, yeah. And that was the whole reason why he left Atlanta. Is you know Atlanta couldn't pay him. The Yankees could, and at the time he was one of the best catchers in the game. So, not named Molina. How about Clayton Kershaw? Two pitches oh. and tie game. Two oh. pitches. See, I, I would love to ask a ask. And a pitcher, oh, by the way, the two best players for the Nationals, the two hitters you have to worry about, Rendon and Soto. Yeah, those and, are the ones. Yeah, those are the yeah. two guys that you have to worry about for sure. Like you, you have to know what you're doing against them, and they made him pay on two pitches. Two pitches, two home runs. I would love to know from a pitcher, 
just how difficult it is if you're a starter to then transition into a, a reliever role. You know, because we know how pitchers have their routines and they, you know, they do different warm-ups. And so I'm sure it's different. And so I, I wonder if that factors in because you see this, you know, time and time again where a starter will come in in relief and then they just they're, – they're not very good because something's off. I don't know if it's their timing's off or, or what it is, but he just didn't look like Clayton Kershaw. Uh, well, actually, in postseason, he did. Well, like that's Clayton that's Kershaw. fair. Doesn't <laughs> that's he have fair. like the worst ERA? Yeah, he he is not. He's been one of those guys the that worst has made a ERA. It's made a lot of in money in postseason play. Yep, made it's a like lot of twelve. Money, but, it's a, it's over twelve. His postseason ERA is it really? Yeah, I think look that up. I think that's right. And is isn't his career? In the regular season, like just is two something. Look up his postseason here. By the way, while you're doing that, Gabe Kapler out in Philadelphia as their manager after two seasons. Gabe Kapler, not surprised. Out. Not what surprised. you got for me? Uh, that's regular season. All right, postseason. His ERA is a four point four three. Yeah, twelve would be a little high, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe that was. Maybe that was this in the in the NLDS it's a three nine nine. In the NLCS it's a four six one. In the World Series it's a five point four. Oh yeah. So wow. it goes up <laughs> the further they go. Yeah, twelve would be a little steep. I don't know where I got that. Maybe that was this this season. A twelve. Yeah, yeah but Oof. that's so, brutal. That so, is brutal. Uh Brandon Cristal, KOA, Broncos sports reporter, Broncos insider. We will talk to him about Next up for the Titans, we do that on the other side. Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 1025, the game. Back here on Darren Donick and Chase, live at Pete and Terry's Tavern, Bridgestone Arena. Tonight it's the Predators and the Capitals. By the way, it was after the sixth inning, his ERA in postseason play, Clayton Kershaw is a 12. Mm. After the sixth inning, yikes. As it played out again last night. Let's, uh, as you heard the music, let's head out to Denver. <laughs> Well done, Max. Well done, Max. <laughs> Brandon Cristal. We always enjoy our conversations with him. KOA, Broncos Wasn't Insider. That going to Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? I'm sure you've I'm sure you've never heard that song before. Brandon, well, how you no, doing? I mean I get it's uh, Rocky Mountain High, right? John Denver, yeah. but that wasn't going to Carolina. Mm. I'm not sure, That's Max. Wrong. Maybe not. Did Max mix it up? Maybe I'm just not listening that closely. That's probably more accurate. <laughs> I'm sure Max got it right. It's a little <laughs> earlier where you are. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's snowing so, here because it's October 10th, so why wouldn't it be snowing? Oh, it's snowing in Denver. Not that big of a surprise, only because normally we'll get kind of one snowfall, typically closer to Halloween. But last year, this exact same week, because we were on vacation in Mexico, and then I came back for the Rams game, and I had to get my sprinklers blown out. A little early because the snow came. It was the coldest game of the year. It was October 12th against the Rams. It was the coldest game they played in Denver. Not November, not December. October 12th was the coldest game. It, it probably won't be the coldest game this week, but it's not going to be super warm. I think it's going to be in the 60s. Wow. Okay, so it's going to warm up for Sunday. Yeah, and I think tomorrow high 40s, maybe even get close to 50, and then back into the mid to high 60s by the weekend. So should be nice. Well, we Last have. Uh, he was here. It was freezing. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it is actually our temperatures have dipped all the way down into the low 80s. So we're actually <laughs> experiencing a cool spell here, Brandon, as well. Yeah, that sounds tough. <laughs> so what was the reaction after Denver 
logging their first win of the season, a good win over the Chargers this past weekend? Well, I think it depends on who you ask. I think for the organization as a whole, they breathe a little sigh of relief. I think for fans, kind of the same thing. And for the team, they're tempered, right? They didn't go nuts. They didn't start popping champagne bottles. Uh, they understand that they're still in a big hole, and Emmanuel Sanders, their wide receiver, said that this week. He said, we dug ourselves a pretty deep hole. We're not out of that hole. We're you know, headed in the right direction, but we're still definitely in the hole. And so they, they know they've got a lot of work to do, and obviously a win on Sunday would help, and then maybe they'll get a little uh, bit of uh, help from the – Either the Texans beating the Chiefs up a little bit, or even if the Chiefs come away with that win, uh, we know the Chiefs are banged up because they got the Chiefs coming in next Thursday. So they're trying to go from 0 and 4 to 3 and 4 real quickly and feel a lot better about themselves. But as both Anthony Lynn and Philip Rivers said Sunday after they won in LA, this is not a normal 0 and 4 team. I'm not saying they're Super Bowl contenders by any means, but they had a couple heartbreaking losses and have been basically in every game they've played. You know, it's it's hard to win out in the Mile High City. Uh, Broncos have traditionally been very good at home are you surprised that their two home games this year have resulted in losses yes based on history but the home field advantage that used to be here at mile high isn't what it what it once was i'm not saying that it doesn't exist but it just uh, for whatever reason they haven't been as dominant as home as, as at home as they had been you know historically and in the john elway era and in the mike shanahan uh tenure uh and even with john fox they didn't and uh, obviously he had peyton manning a lot of those years uh, they just didn't lose very much at home. And to lose your two home games this year now is obviously dramatic fashion. They had the lead uh, with 31 seconds to go against the Bears and with a minute and change to go against Jacksonville. So it wasn't like they are getting their doors blown out at home. But they certainly, uh, in order to obviously get to the playoffs, right, you want to go 6-2 and two, uh, at home, if not better. And they've already dropped those two games. And, and I know playoffs is a long conversation away. Only one team ever has made it at 0-4. So they're not, they're not eyeing that just yet. But there won't be the Titans fans. You know, Titans fans, Jags fans don't permeate Denver the way maybe the Bears fans did. Although their colors are the same, so you couldn't really tell if you looked in the stands, you know, who was who. But, like, when the Packers come to town or the Steelers, their fans manage to buy tickets. I don't think Titans fans necessarily travel that well or have that same fan base. So it, it should be a home field advantage, but it just isn't what it once was. Brandon, the last time the Bears were in town, they drank the city dry. That's that's not a joke either. They ran out of beer oh, well, in, in downtown you know. Nashville. Oh well, they didn't run out of beer here, but we're kind of uh, you know pride ourselves in all the craft beers, so it'd be almost yes. impossible to do that. Um, I'm not saying there aren't good craft beers in Nashville, but you know we just had the Great American Beer Festival last weekend, which is the biggest beer festival in the world. And maybe one year it'll work out where the Titans will play here that same weekend, and you guys can come out and check it out because it really is worth the price of admission of 7,800 different beers on tap and I think uh, a couple uh, I can't remember the number is 12 or 1,400 breweries here so it's pretty awesome yeah a lot of people listening just said yes yes uh, they, they will sign up for that yeah. uh, how how much has the loss of Bradley Chubb affected the defense well it's a little early to tell because uh, they won their first game against Phillip Rivers and the Chargers but Talk to me in a couple weeks. Bradley Chubb is certainly their best young talent on the defensive side of the ball. There's no question. And if you want to argue between he and Philip Lindsay, I guess on the offense or Cortland Sutton on the offensive side of the ball. But Bradley Chubb is living up to the hype. Uh, I realize he didn't have any sacks through his first four games, just like Von Miller didn't. But he was really active in the run game, and and he was getting after the quarterback as much as this team could, considering they weren't getting any sacks. Um, and so to lose him after just four games. 
really hurts because he had the 12-plus sacks as a, as a rookie. You know, he's chasing Javon Curse's record for a little bit, or obviously all the way till the end in theory. Um, and you thought he'd just build on that. And it was funny because going into the year, you thought with Vic Fangio here, you could see the first 20-sack tandem where each guy had 20 sacks because uh, we've never seen that in the league. Well, it's certainly not happening this year now with Bradley out. So they've got an undrafted kid named Malik Reed who's undersized as a uh, at least as a run stopper at 6'3", or 6'2", 235. And if he's 6'2", then I'm six foot, uh, and I'm really 5'8". So he's 6'2", <laughs> generous. He must be wearing really long cleats. Uh, but he played well against and played most of the snaps against uh, Rivers and, and the Chargers. And they got this other rookie fifth-rounder out of Oregon named Justin Holland. So it's kind of by committee. Uh, but honestly, the guy that we're talking about on defense is somebody that I know Vols fans know is A.J. Johnson, who wanted to go by Alexander after getting to the league for no real reason other than he told me one time that he thought it'd be cool when he made it to the NFL if he could go by Alexander because it sounded you know, more dignified or something. Uh, mm. But he had a hell of a game in his first start last week. Interesting. Uh, Noah Fant was drafted right here in Nashville, picked 20 in the first round. I know that he's been uh, dealing with a little dropsies and maybe some penalties. How, how Overall, how has the rookie looked, uh, the rookie tight end Noah Fant out of Iowa? I think he's looked like a rookie. And when you look at what tight ends have done, and I'm not going to pretend that I did this research, but one of my guys here in town looked at first-round tight ends since 1980, and – since 1980, first-round tight end, either 80 or 90, whatever it is, they averaged 33 catches, about 350 yards, and three touchdowns. And you look at Tony Gonzalez, who just went into the Hall of Fame. His rookie year, he had 35 catches or 34 catches, 360 yards, and three touchdowns. So I get that it's a different NFL, but there's fans that thought he'd be a 5-6 touchdown guy, and I guess he could get there. He got his first one a couple weeks ago against the Jags. But he looks like a rookie, and they leave him out on an island against Khalil Mack because the tackle doesn't slide over to help. And he looks like certainly a rookie, but I think even Rob Gronkowski would have his challenges with Khalil Mack, you know, in his heyday as one of the best blocking tight ends. Uh, but then you'll see bursts where he turns a little catch into a bigger gain, and you're like, oh, okay, there's, there's the difference between Fant and most other tight ends because most tight ends don't run 4-5 flat. And the more he can get comfortable in the offense, the more Flacco will trust him. Uh, they play him a lot, though. He plays a lot of snaps, you know, upwards of 80% of the snaps. He's getting the opportunity, but he does certainly look like a rookie, especially when he tries to help uh, as an inline blocker in the run game or even downfield. He'll get himself kind of in, you know, a bad spot where he's a little out of position because he just hasn't played enough football at this level uh, and wasn't asked to do all the stuff that the Broncos are asking him to do. So it's kind of trial by fire. But uh, this might be a really good week against him because the Titans have been pretty terrible against tight ends. So. If you're looking for a streaming fantasy option, not the Titans fans want to see anybody have success against their team, uh, but he may end up with the biggest day of anybody this week. Brandon Cristal from KOA in Denver here with us, talking Denver Broncos. Taking on the Titans this weekend now, uh, you know, you one in four to start the season. Joe Flacco at 34 years old is, has done a decent job at quarterback, but I have seen some rumors of that, you know, the Broncos could look to move some veteran talent as they get closer to the trade deadline is, you know, have you heard anything? Are they looking to, to maybe make some changes as they try and build this team more towards the future and not necessarily this year? I know they're not looking to move anyone now. And so any rumors that are out there are put out by either agents that have players that maybe are looking uh, down the road and or other teams that are calling. You know, John always going to take everyone's call. But John always also the most competitive guy you'll meet. So until they're at seven, eight, nine losses, which could happen sooner than later, the way they're obviously positioned right now at one and four, He's not, he's not making any of those calls. But then when you talk about the names that will yield the most return, 
Vaughn Miller's at the top of the list, and it seems crazy to trade your Super Bowl MVP, uh, but a team could essentially get him on a one-year rental because there's an out after this fourth year of a six-year deal that's paying him upwards of $18, 19000000 million. Then you talk about guys like Chris Harris Jr., who's in the last year of his contract. He'd certainly be a rental, and you're probably talking about a mid-round pick for him. If you're lucky, if it's the right team, maybe it's a, a low second-rounder because they're a playoff team, obviously, or a third-rounder, a third and a fifth maybe. And then Emmanuel Sanders could also be dealt, as could defensive lineman Derek Wolf. But I don't think they're actively making calls. That's my understanding that, that they certainly take every call that comes in. Uh, but John Elway is not ready to give up even at 1-4 and because, like we started the conversation, uh, they think they could be 3-4 and four here in a couple days and feeling a lot better about themselves. What's been your evaluation of Philip Lindsay in year two? I know 327 yards, three touchdowns. We, we all know the story from last season for him. But do you, do you feel like it, it's translated into year two and that teams are still having trouble bringing him down? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, and it was brought up yesterday to both Philip and to Joe Flacco about his success between the tackles. He had just his 400-yard game the other day in terms of rushing, but he's obviously been over 100 in all-purpose yards a bunch. I think the most interesting thing to me is how Royce Freeman, the other rookie from a year ago, now in his second year, the third-rounder out of Oregon, who's the Ducks' all-time leading rusher, has contributed a bunch in the passing game because everyone looks at Philip at 5'8 and you know barely 200 pounds and thinks, oh, he's your perfect edge guy and swing pass, right, and go operate in the flat and make guys miss in a screen game. But Royce Freeman, I think, runs better routes and catches the ball a little bit better. So I'm not saying Philip can't get there, but that's maybe been the most surprising thing. Otherwise, it feels like he's picked up where he left off, right? 327 yards through five games puts him on pace for right around 1,000. Do I think he'll be a pro bowler again this year? i got to see how the other running backs look. But he and Freeman together, you know, they're up over 575 yards, combined on the ground, plus they're obviously contributing in, in the passing game. Uh, so I think it's it's kind of right what you'd expect with Freeman being a bigger contributor because he got banged up in the middle of the year last year, and that really allowed Lindsey to thrive and, and make the Pro Bowl. Um, but he's their, probably their most explosive playmaker because of how much he touches the ball. You could make a case for Emmanuel Sanders, but the last couple of weeks Emmanuel's been muted, and when you're playing a position that's as dependent as receiver, uh, then when you have Joe Flacco, who as much as he likes uh, Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders, he's going to throw to the open guy. So if that's tight end Jeff Hireman or fullback Andy Janovich, he's throwing to the open guy. It doesn't matter that Emmanuel's going to be disgruntled, and I think they will try to work him into the game plan early this week because they don't want three weeks of him uh, pouting, if you will, not that he's outwardly pouting, but you can tell when a frontline wide receiver isn't getting the ball that their mood isn't great. So uh, I know you asked me about Lindsey, and I threw in a bunch more stuff there, but, yeah, Lindsey's kind of picked up where, where we expected him to. How much of a difference have you seen in the offensive line now that Mike Munchak has taken over as the O-line coach? Well, if you had asked me in the first couple of weeks, I would have said not very much, and it wasn't Munchak's fault. It's the personnel that he's been given. But Garrett Bowles, despite all those holding calls early, has been a lot better and actually graded out as the fourth-best uh, left tackle in pass blocking, I believe, last week or the week before, um, and hasn't had a hold in a couple of weeks, which I realize – you shouldn't have to qualify that, right? You shouldn't have to say that. Uh, but they had 12 penalties last week, and none of them were holding calls on bowls. And then you got uh, other young guys that are just starting to figure it out. Dalton Reisner, who they took in the second round out of K-State, who's from just outside of Denver, is a, is a man at left guard. Connor McGovern's in a contract year, and he's starting at center for the first time all season. So he's figuring it out. And then they've got a backup right tackle because Juwan James, their high-priced free agent, played eight snaps and hasn't gotten back on the field. Now he's practicing a little, but I don't expect to see him against the Titans. Uh, and then Ron Leary is just kind of steady as he goes. 
Uh, he skips practice on Wednesday, sometimes on Thursday, and then on Sunday he goes out and plays well enough, although he has a bunch of holding penalties too. So you can tell that Munchak's fingerprints uh, are on this offensive line, and you realize just what a good teacher he is, and it would make sense when you're that good of a player that it translates. And so they just lucked out that his daughter and granddaughter live 10 minutes from the Broncos facility, and his contract was up, so even though he was the runner-up for the head coaching job, his wife basically said, I want to go see our granddaughter until you get a head coaching job. So whether he's here for a year, two years, or a little bit more, uh, it's been certainly uh, a huge boost to have him coaching up Garrett Bowles as best he can. Brandon, the wife and I spent five days out on your city uh, for a little anniversary trip this summer and had a, a wonderful time. You've got a beautiful city, so... I hope well, I some Titans that. fans do go out there and make a trip of it this weekend. Should be a good game. Two desperate teams that uh, need a win badly. So we'll see how it all plays out. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Chase. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. That see is you. Brandon Cristal, KOA, Broncos Insider, sports reporter, and we do appreciate uh, him joining us. We'll come back talk a little bit more about this matchup. On the other side, Darren, Donick, and Chase, ESPN, 1025, the game. Looking at the morning lines. It's like Rocco Grimaldi taking a maintenance day. Oh, I thought you meant another type of line. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, you were yeah, the, the we're betting at, lines. We're yes. looking at those too. <laughs> yes, we do have lines all over the place. But how about morning skate yes. lines? Looks like Ryan Johansson centering that top line. No surprise there. Victor Arvidsson on the right side. No surprise there. But Callie Yarncroak yeah. on the left side. Shane Granlin, Forsberg, second line. Benino Sissons, Watson, no changes there. Kyle Turris centering that fourth line with Daniel Carr and Craig Smith. At least, like I said, that is the look of uh, morning skate. Yeah, and it's interesting if if it's just a maintenance day for Rocco or if that means we'll see the debut of Daniel Carr tonight if he's in the lineup. Uh, I think it's interesting because, you know, the – I do. I did like Craig Smith being on that that line with Johansson and Arvidsson, and I wanted to see them stick with it for a while to try and build that chemistry. Because as we know, sometimes it takes a few games. But Peter Laviolette is never afraid to uh, to change things up, and you know I think that's what what he's doing here. And um, Callie Oncroak is somebody that I think they're trying to jumpstart a little bit. So maybe putting him up with with Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson can help do that. So. Um, there's no reason he can't go back. It's just morning skate. Never know, but I think it's always good to kind of get a look at things too to see what what it's gonna what's gonna look like. Craig Smith, no goals, no through three games. Has the I think one assist on the season. One assist. Yep. He's got to he's got to stay with that twenty goal season. Yeah. yeah, he will. I know. I mean, there there oh, are well, times he does it every five out of six years. He's right. Twenty or more goals. So. I think. He, it's like we were joking about with Alex Ovechkin earlier. You know, Craig Smith has been one of those guys too that, you know, sometimes he'll he'll start it's hot streaky, and, yep. and then sometimes he doesn't, and then gets on a streak, and that's just that's a majority of goal scorers. I was gonna say, isn't that the most overblown thing? Is they're streaky? Yeah, I mean, in eighty-two games, everybody. everybody's streaky. Yeah, okay, that's what that's the way it works. Very rarely does someone, unless you're like a guy like Kucherov, right, who yeah. finished with 400 points last year, right. where he's good for basically a point or two a night. You know, I mean, he he basically did it for an entire season. But rarely do guys, you know, 
they, they all go through ebbs and flows of an 82-game season. So I, I think really when you look at it, everybody's streaky. You just don't want to have droughts, long yeah. droughts. That's all. Everybody, well, everybody has off weeks or a time where they get in this patch during the course of a season where they're either on fire or they've cooled down. But, you know, you just you hope the on fire lasts longer than it normally does, and you hope the drought doesn't last as long as sometimes it does. That's, that's how that works. And I think that's why it was so big the other night for Kyle Turris to break through and score that goal. And not only did he score, I mean, it was a pretty goal yep. too. Um, I know you were watching from home, but that – and there was a, a big applause when that happened. Feeling think, good. Yeah, I bet you were <laughs> um, after surgery. But, yeah, and, and he – you know, he was feeling good after the game. He had a lot of pep in his step in the locker room. And um, I talked to him, you know, a, a couple of games before I talked to him Saturday, and I could tell a difference with him. I mean, mm-hmm. it just it seems like his confidence is back. and. With all the rumors and the Matt Duchesne signing and, you know, all that stuff out there, he's he's been able to power through that. The organization stuck with him. David Poyle said, I don't know how many times, that, you know, we want to see Kyle Turris bounce back from a bad year. And so far, he's off to a good start. And it's been it's been really good to see And because uh, he's somebody you pull for. You, you like him. He's a good guy. So I, I think it was a big moment the other night for him to uh, – to officially return by scoring that goal. So what do you make of this matchup? I had a good conversation with Brandon Cristal out in Denver, two teams that desperately need to win. The Broncos just logged their first win. As you heard me bring up in the interview, they've dropped both of their games at home, although he said it hasn't been as much of a home field advantage. And as we've talked about this year, I mean, you know, visiting teams, road teams have done quite well, although I did notice it came back around a little bit this past weekend if you – yeah, so the home teams had a little, a lot more success, but road teams still getting it done this year in the NFL. Denver has not won a home game yet. Yeah, in in Mile High, I mean, I know it's not called Mile High anymore, but that's a tough place to play. Uh, you have to deal with the the higher altitude and you know getting used to that. I mean, I remember when we went out there a few years ago for the playoffs. That was my first time in Denver, and I noticed a difference, and I wasn't yep. playing a game. Oh, it's it real. Just, it's it's real. There's just definitely a difference in in the thinner air so that's something that's always going to uh, affect a road team at the same time for the pre or for the for the titans it's a must win i mean they they have squandered chances against teams that they very much could have beaten they had the game one against indy they were doomed from the start against jacksonville but still were in it and then buffalo is kind of the same thing so they're not beating these teams that they should be able to beat and they should be able to hang with Denver is definitely a winnable game for them and they're going to have to go out there and, and close it out like they did against Atlanta and, and just be be the team that they can be because it's all about confidence at this point and I think that the confidence is shaky at best for the Titans and Denver is a team that they still have talent you still have to respect that defense it's not what it used to be you still have to respect Joe Flacco and what what he's done in this league but the Titans should win this game. I mean, I just, I, I really just feel like they are, they're a better football team from top to bottom, even with their their issues, than the Denver Broncos. Are. Most yards after contact allowed per rush. The Packers have allowed the most, three and a half after contact. Titans and Bengals next. Mm. Wouldn't have thought that. No. No. Yeah, I, because we always, we always look at the the best part of this team being. 
the defense. The fewest yards after contact allowed for rushing, Bears, Vikings, 49ers. Most yards after contact huh. in the rushing game, Packers, Titans, Bengals. Three. I wouldn't have thought yeah. that. Oh, by the way, the Packers defense has been really yeah. good this year, but apparently uh, after contact, you can uh, you can ch- get some yards on the Packers and the Titans. That is that's a how about that? That's an interesting stat because again, the eye test tells you that okay, they've done a pretty good job of slowing offenses down, but it's all about that as uh, Tehran likes to say, the yak. What AJ Brown is so good at, you know, but after. After that initial touch, player is able to get away. So, uh, again, Titans are going to have to – the defense is going to have to continue to carry this team and try and make up for some of the deficiencies that the offense has. But at the same time, Marcus Mariota, you, you, have, to, you have to get more out of him. Something we talked to Tim Hasselbeck yesterday about because John Glennon wrote in his piece with The Athletic that when Mariota gets rid of the football un, in under two and a half seconds, he's gold. Like, he's completing passes, but what does that tell you? That's usually the first read, that he's able to to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And that's how Tim explained it, that, well, that's exactly what it means, that if that first read is there, it's no problem. When he has to take time and go through his progression, which we've seen for five years now, that's, that's where the has, struggles begin. And he doesn't have the offensive line to protect him either, so that's when everything breaks down. So it's... It's finding that first guy and getting rid of the football and then trying to adapt to allow him to have a little more time to get that second, that third read. We'll come back, wrap up the first hour of Darren, Donnick, and Chase next. A little bit later, start Sunday out in Denver. 325 kickoff for the Broncos and the Titans. So a little bit different look this Sunday. And two teams, Broncos are 1-4 this year. And of course, the Titans searching for that third win. You can't can't fall too far behind tonight. It'll be the Giants and the Patriots in Foxborough, so that'll be a mop job. Saquon's out. No Saquon Barkley, or Ingram, or uh, Evan Ingram. Their tight end, or Sterling Shepard. So their top receiver, their top tight end, their top running back out of the lineup. Good luck with that. <laughs> and I believe even isn't Wayne Gallman the backup? To Saquon Barkley out too? Uh, yeah, I'm not. Sh- yeah, wasn't sure. And then don't forget Sunday morning, another London game: Panthers and Bucks. Can Kyle Allen keep this thing going? Yeah, Cam Newton didn't even make the trip. This, yeah, well, the Kyle Allen's an interesting story. Three and zero since taking over as the starter. And it kind of makes, you know, you start seeing the headlines and people wondering, is this it? You know, have they, are they moving on? I mean, come on. Like, you're, I think if they keep winning, then yeah, you have to consider not making a change when Cam Newton's healthy. But at the same time, Kyle Allen, you know, I want to see how it is once teams get film on him and they start, you know, dissecting him because there's, you still have to go back to, there's a reason that he wasn't drafted. It just, like I'm sure he's he's talented, but you know is he going to be able to sustain it? So this will be a good test going across the pond playing the Bucks because the Bucks have been that's an eight thirty a.m. Central. So if yep. you're looking for a little football first thing in the morning on Sunday, that is uh, that's your play. Was that going to be on NFL Network? Probably. Yep. Uh, eight thirty kickoff Panthers and Bucks. Eight thirty in the morning on Sunday. So if you're looking, uh, there's a lot of fantasy value there. There's a lot of yeah. players. That'll be Chris. 
Godwin is having quite the year for the Bucks at wide receiver. He already has 33 catches and over 500 yards and six touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey, on the other hand, is having an MVP type of season. I heard the, the guys on Morning Drive talking about him this morning of how he should be in consideration for the MVP, and I absolutely how agree. How could he not be? Yeah, I mean, he's having a tremendous season so he's, far. He's so. approaching 600 yards. And they're they played five, five games. games. I know. And he'll probably do it again, even though the, you know, I think Bruce 600 Arians, yards rushing. Don't yeah. forget all the catch. I mean, you know, he, he's yards. in for the he's in for a 2,000-yard season again, right? I think Bruce Arians. All purpose when it comes to rushing and, and receiving. Yeah. I think Bruce Arians' offense and, you know, his way of doing things, it's starting to slowly but surely click with Tampa Bay. But they're still up and down. They're They're kind of in the same boat as the Titans of just – you see flashes, and then they fall back, and they just haven't quite hit their stride. And they're going to have a tough test because Carolina is showing that I, I think they're a lot better than people thought they were, even with Kyle Allen at quarterback. The reason this is an important game is the Texans are in Kansas City. It's hard to believe uh, seeing the Chiefs, even with the banged-up Mahomes, they may get Tyreek Hill back, uh, that the Chiefs would drop two home games in a row. Uh, so you have to think that even though this is a fantastic matchup, with the Texans coming off a 53-point performance to Sean Watson. Two young guys drafted, what, a couple spots away from each other? Watson yep. and Mahomes. That, that should be a – so you you have to favor the Chiefs a little bit in that because they're at home. They just lost to the Colts. So you're thinking a Texans loss will put them at 3-3. Three and three. If you get that win in Denver, you're 3-3. Three and three. The Jags are at home against the Saints. I don't know how that's going to play out. Yeah, can the Saints keep it going? And then the Saints can they have keep been rolling? Really good. So there's a chance the Jags could lose at home. And then the Colts coming off that big win in Kansas City. What are they? An off week? Is that right? Are they off? Yeah, I think they're in an off week. I've, the buys start so early. Well, you, you, know, even, you had teams coming yeah. off a bye last yeah, already. I they, I They've they already had a couple week weeks four. of buys. Well, I'm the chief, the 49ers. Yeah. That was their coming off a of bye week, and they right. beat up on the Browns Monday night. Uh, by the way, if you're mad at somebody and you really don't like them, um, here's their punishment. Make them watch start to finish. You have to oh. tie them down, <laughs> and they cannot going. change. The remote control is across the room. They have to watch the Redskins and the Dolphins from start to finish. That would be somebody's punishment. If you're mad at somebody and you don't like them, Make them watch the Redskins and the Dolphins start to finish, and they can't, they can't flip the channel. They just have to watch that game from kickoff until the end. You know what I hope happens? And it may surprise you that you're going to hear me say this because I hate this in the NFL, but I would love it if that game ended in a tie. Well, I was, just, I was going to say somebody <laughs> has to win, but if it, I guess technically you're right. Somebody doesn't have to win. They could end in a tie. Oh, that would be tremendous. Jay Gruden, you know, how, how are the Redskins going to respond after firing Jay Gruden? Did you, uh, did you see John Gruden's comments when he was asked about it? So he said, you know, it's been a rough couple days because he's been talking to his brother quite a bit and helping him through it. And he goes, but as I told him, I said, our dad got fired. I got fired. Welcome to the club, bro. Yeah, there you go. Uh, this could really spoil the Dolphins' plans for Tua if they win this game. I know. They're at home, and believe it or not, somebody has to be favored. And the Redskins are the three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Dolphins. Uh, it's going to be a game I'm not going to be watching. <laughs> no. I can tell you that. I will not pay attention I to that. I will not turn to one play of that nope. game. No uh, chance. One, one quick point 
uh, going back to the Texans and the Chiefs, we always talk about a team being a great team and, and what makes them a great team. The Chiefs, I, I would put in the great category. It's how you bounce back after a loss. That was a tough, tough way to go out, a tough loss to the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday night. But, you know, you have to factor in that Patrick Mahomes was banged up. and he could barely walk. could barely walk. So that obviously had a lot to do with it. I look for a bounce back because I just I think the Chiefs, it's in their DNA that, okay, we got knocked down. We'll just pop right back up. So I would definitely favor the Chiefs. I, you know, if you're the Texans, it's is this a is this a five star lock? Five star is this lock? a special? Are you throwing out a special play there? But I'll the line is the line is what four and a half. I would lay the four and a half. I think the Chiefs get it done. I, I definitely think they do by at least a touchdown. I, I think the Texans will give them a fight, but I just the Chiefs are a team that I think when they lose in the fashion in, in which they did on you know a Sunday night game, national TV at home. They're going to bounce back. Okay. Coming up in the second hour, Tara McCormick, TitanInsider.com to kick it off. Lindsey Rally will stop by the table. Willie D will be back in the mix in the second hour as well. Don't go anywhere. More coming live from Pete and Terry's Tavern, Bridgestone Arena, Predators and Capitals tonight. Hour number two next.